declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, Adam. As you would start the question, how free are we? How free are we? Uh, we live in, a, in the free world. We don't use that expression anymore, but we are in the free world, uh, in a free country. Uh, but how free are we actually? Uh, now, picture all those coming into central London, uh, pursuing their professional dream. How free are they all, all of them? Uh, yes, they might be able to choose uh, a job that is, that is less tedious than others, or better paid if they're lucky. But is the crowd coming out of Charing Cross Station every morning really free? Uh, what guides their decisions? What guides our decisions? Is it, the, is it money? Uh, the money we, we need? The money we would like to have? Is it responsibilities for our loved ones? Um, is it my boss or my health? Um, is it social expectation? Uh, the need to make sure that my social media account is better than my friends or that my car is shinier than my colleagues. Um, and the reality is that despite our freedom, sometimes it feels like we're not in control of all of our lives. Um, it feels like we're serving someone or something. Um, does that resonate with anyone? <clears throat> I hope so. <laughs> well, in today's passage, Jesus tells us that we're not as free as we think we are. And that all we can choose really is who we get to serve. But he also promises that if we make the right choice, we will be truly free. So last week we looked at, at the first couple of verses of the section. Um, and some people have called the section uh, the school of Christ. Uh, in verse 29, uh, if you look down, it says, learn from me. Um, Jesus invites to come to listen and to learn. To enrol in a school, if you will. Um, and we see that, we saw that Hannah's school is a particularly exclusive institution, only a certain kind of pupil uh, seem, to, seem to be accepted. Um, if you look down at verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The wise and understanding are excluded from class, and the little children are welcomed. Uh, those who claim to know the curriculum and, and uh, claim that they have it all figured out, they are left out. But those who instead come to Jesus humbly, wanting to learn from him, knowing their need to be taught, they are welcomed in. And we also learn that the school staff, staff is made up of one professor. Uh, that is the son, Jesus. Um, he, he is the only professor. In verse 27, all things, he says, have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one is the Son, 
Sorry, no, yeah, no one is the son except the father. And no one is the father except the son. And anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him. He is the only one licensed to teach. No other professor is needed. And no one will ever be employed as support staff. Therefore, the, the appeal to the would-be students is quite straightforward in verse 28. Come to me. Come and listen. Come to learn. There is nowhere else to go if you want to learn anything about God, about how to know him. This is the place, at last, where you can receive all there is to know about our creator, about who we are, and what we're here for. Now, if that's not the greatest slogan for a school you've ever heard of, I don't know what is. However, um, there is something very unappealing about the slogan. You might have read it. Uh, you might have spotted it in your reading. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. Now, we don't see yokes very often these days, um, either in common garden or in the fields for that matter. Uh, but we get the idea of what it is and what it represents. Uh, a yoke is something that goes on a farm animal um, on their neck as it plows through the field. Uh, a person never tried one, but I assume it's quite heavy and unpleasant. Um, so Jesus is basically inviting those who might be interested in following him uh, to be like cattle. Come to me and be a knot, seems to be saying. Now we start to see how this is not the most appealing slogan. Um, not because it compares us to cows, although you might find that offensive, but much more because of what Jesus means by that. He's asking us to do something that is unpleasant. Take my yoke upon you means submit to my rule, yield to me, surrender. And that is not quite a catchy slogan anymore, is it? And you'll remember in verse 3 at the start of the chapter, John the Baptist uh, asking, are you the one who is to come? And the answer is, yes, I am he. I am the promised king, the Messiah who's arrived and now demands total allegiance. And that is an offensive message. Because deep down, none of us wants to be ruled. And in Italy, where I'm from, uh, we have a saying that goes, when it rains, blame the government. Um, it doesn't matter what's wrong, you can always blame those in charge. Uh, it might be your boss, the politi politicians, those of us are the ones that we are most likely to resent and to criticise. And obviously, the various examples of bad leadership we, we might know of uh, don't help us in this. Um, however, the idea of an absolute ruler is definitely something that none of us naturally enjoys. And that is the very title Jesus gives himself. So in a sense, we shouldn't be too surprised to see that despite very clear and obvious signs, the people of Galilee still refuse to repent and believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. No one likes to be under a yoke. And allow me to suggest that that is the reason why your colleagues um, and the people in your office don't think that it's uh, a really good idea to listen to Jesus. Uh, it's not primarily an intellectual barrier that stops them from listening to him. Uh, they might present it as such, but the real reason why they think Jesus is not for them 
uh, is because they know full well what he's all about. Uh, they see him as a yoke, in fact, and they have no desire to get rid of that freedom. And for that very reason, they think, perhaps, that you're silly. Uh, not because you believe in God, in fact, very few people don't, really, but because you willingly give up your time and freedom uh, to do what you want. Why should you ever give up your lunchtime to come to the centre at all, uh, or your weekend, or your cash, or this Jesus? Why would you ever submit to his rule? And that's the question, isn't it? Why would you? And this is the question that the last couple of verses of chapter 11 want to answer. And the answer we get isn't the catcher slogan, but it's incredibly profound. Why would you submit to Jesus? The first answer we have is because he offers rest. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, now Christmas is near, you might start to feel the need for a break. A nice holiday, perhaps. I can see some people nodding. Um, in my last job, my company introduced a policy uh, by which we're not allowed to request time off um, with more than six, six months in advance. And I personally thought that was a big deal initially, but then I saw one of my colleagues uh, almost, almost throw in a fit once she received the email from HR. Um, I tried to ask her what was wrong about it, what was also terrible about this policy, uh, and she said she always planned her travelling a year in advance to get the best deals. Um, and she said, I've never, I've already booked all my, uh, my trip to Chile for next year. She said, I, I can't cancel it. Travelling is too important in my life. And travelling was too important in my friend's life. Uh, she had shaped all her life around it. Uh, she worked hard all year round so she could afford the best possible holidays, the best possible hotels, um, each year taking boxes off the bucket list one by one. All in service of true rest. All then to simply go back and start to live again every year. Now that kind of rest, I think it's not really restful, isn't it? It sounds more like heavy labour to me uh, in some ways, like hamsters running endlessly uh, in their little wheel, not really going anywhere but always working really, really hard. And your colleagues so might think you are silly and when you give up your freedom instead, and instead choose to listen to what Jesus thinks is best for us. Uh, but Jesus' invitation shows that a life in freedom from Jesus, from himself, is a life in slavery to something else. And that's the famous song by Bob Dylan, God Serve Somebody. Not that I've ever listened to Bob Dylan, but that's the famous song. And Jesus says, come to me, all who labour and a heavy laden. So think of all the people coming out of Charing Cross Station every morning. Are they free? Or are they more like my old colleague? Stuck in that endless cycle of trying to live up to societal expectations, climbing the ladder so you can buy the things you must have and go to the places you must see. That's a question for us to ponder. But when Jesus looks at the crowds with compassion, he sees them not as free-willed individuals, but as sheep without a shepherd. And here as cattle who are heavy laden, burdened by heavy labour. Their only freedom is to choose who they get to serve. 
And now he's saying that if you choose to serve him instead, you will find rest. That's the promise. However, he's not talking about the sort of rest that you get over Christmas when you spend so much time with your relatives that you end up missing your colleagues. Um, neither is he over-promising. Uh, he's not saying that as long as you obey him, everything will go well, um, that from now on all your burdens will be taken away, the mortgage will pay itself, and you'll be able to retire at 55. You just need to reach up to 10 to see that Jesus is not promising an easy life. But what he's promising is much better than what we wish for. If you look at verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The rest Jesus promises is the sort of rest that no, no all-inclusive <coughs> holiday and no spa treatment can provide. It's the rest not just for the body or the mind, but for the soul. It is the Father's rest. We've seen last week, if you were here in verse 27, that the Son provides access to God, uh, the creator of the universe. And so the rest Jesus is talking about is eternal rest in the Father's presence. Uh, It is the rest we were all made for, whether we realise it or not. And you see, that eternal rest will have an impact sensible impact on our days here in London too. All our toil and labour and stress will be recalibrated by the rest that we can have for our souls. Because certainty of eternal rest with the Father can give us rest even now as we work away and slave away at our jobs. In fact, if all you have is the rest that you get from your holidays or from your retirement, That is what you will strive for, what you will work for and stress about. Work then becomes the only way you have to get any form of rest. I wonder, could that be the reason behind all the stress and tension in our teams sometimes? Or behind the not-so-kind interactions in the office? If you have Jesus' rest, however, the Father's rest, that every single interaction at work is transformed. All the bad mouthing, the politics, the in-groups. Why worry? It's just work. Yes, it can be stressful on a bad day, obviously, but at the end of the day, in fact, at the end of your life, you do have rest. Not retirement, but rest for your souls. And isn't that so much more appealing than our career dreams? So why would you want to submit to Jesus' rule? Our first answer is because he offers rest. But then how can you trust that he will give you this rest? How can you be sure that following him won't be like another weighty religious commitment? And people are so scared of really justice here and there. Um, some people like it, but I guess most people, when they think of religion, they envisage all these bad stereotypes of endless regulations which are simply impossible to follow. And that's exactly the sort of burdens that the Pharisees put on the people in Jesus' day. So how can we be sure that following Jesus will not be, will be restful and not miserable? And the answer to that question is our second point. Jesus says that it's worth submitting to him because of the kind of king he is. 
And I think it's fair to say that the kind of ruler over us determines our willingness <coughs> to be ruled. Uh, you might have heard recently about um, Sam Altman, the co-founder of uh, OpenAI, uh, the software house that created ChatGPT. Um, he was asked by his board only to then be re-employed for like two weeks later, uh, right away after the entire company um, threatened to resign. Uh, those who did have to resign <laughs> were the board members that uh, wanted him out in the first place. So we all want to be led well, and we all know who a good leader is. None of us like competent leaders, never mind ruthless and self-serving ones. And Jesus describes himself as a king, but as a king who doesn't serve himself, but instead cares for his subjects. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is king, but his heart is gentle and humble. And I wonder what the king in history honestly say that about himself. The kings of Israel definitely couldn't. Um, if you look at Solomon's son in 1 Kings, Rehoboam, um, as soon as he became king, the people asked him, um, yet yeah, your father, Solomon, made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Now at that moment, Rehoboam had a choice, which is the choice that I guess most leaders have at some point. It is whether to serve himself or his subjects. What do you think he decided to do? He said to them, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And so many leaders like Rehoboam throughout history have made that same choice, haven't they? To serve themselves and not their subjects. And maybe even the best leader you can think of, even they can't have given themselves completely for the people that we're trying to serve. Have you ever heard of a king or a queen able to just freely roam the streets without any form of protection? Or have you ever heard of a prime minister with a 100% consensus? It's hardly unlikely. But Jesus is saying that unlike any other ruler who's ever lived, he can be trusted. He is worth following. It is worth taking on his, his yoke. It's a light thing to be his subject. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. And that's the kind of king he is. Which doesn't mean he is always nice and tame, uh, like the baby in the manger. But it does mean that he is a servant. He puts himself last, even though he is the first. And we see that so perfectly when he chose to die on the cross like a criminal uh, for the sake of his subjects, didn't we? So when you see the cross, you see a king worth following, a true leader. So to conclude, we all find ourselves with a choice, and that's the choice we can put forward to our colleagues and friends in the run-up to Christmas. Who will you serve? Who will rule you? And we've seen that if we rule ourselves, uh, we will actually continue to be burdened. We might think ourselves free, but there will be no rest for our souls 
whether now, here, or in eternity. But if we come to Jesus, if we bend the knee to his kingly rule, we get to follow the best ruler the world has ever seen. And it would be hard to read the gospel and not come to that conclusion. Maybe that's a question you can ask to your colleagues sat next to you. Who will you serve? Yourself? Some other selfish personality? Or the gentle king? Let me pray because. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for sending him. For the, the joy of Christmas, knowing that the Son, who knows the Father perfectly, has come and has come to teach us. We thank you for what we can learn from him about you, about us. And we pray, Father, that you help us reflect on his leadership uh, in this uh, coming season, that you will help us uh, dwell on that truth that uh, he is the uh, best leader the world has ever seen. He is the one who has served us fully, completely, uh, to the bitter end. Um, And we pray that you will help us uh, be those who uh, want to proclaim of that great leadership uh, to others. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.